Hello and welcome back to Victoria on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but I love learning about art anyway. And I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school, but I also love learning about art all the time. And we have been doing it for, on this podcast anyway, for more than three years now. Yay! I know. We passed our three-year anniversary. We are into 2023. This is actually, this episode will be going out in February, but this is our first episode that we are recording in 2023. And so I thought it might be fun to do a little bit of a retrospective, not necessarily a retrospective of pictorial, um, although that <laughs> will come up, let me assure you. Oh, but uh, there's an article on Art News um, that was published in December that is the 25 defining artworks of 2022. And these are works that were either uh, created or displayed kind of prominently for the first time in 2022, or older works that came into new meanings and contexts in this year. And so I thought it might be fun for us to take a little gander uh, through this list and talk about um, some things that stand out to us. Um, I have a couple of examples that I want to maybe talk about in a little bit more detail. Um, but before we get into anything at all, I just want to point out a couple of important things here. And that is number six, uh, which is uh, Piet Mondrian's New York City One, which we talked about extensively on our episode about upside down art. And the selected number one defining artwork of 2022 was Sovereignty uh, as displayed at the Venice Biennale, which we also discussed extensively in that episode. Wow, we're, we're pretty good at just knowing what's defining art. I know, we are on the pulse, we are moving, <laughs> we are shaking. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, yeah, you know, actually, this, this is really great because I find, other than obviously the... Uh, number one artwork that we did, did talk about this year. I find that I, I'm not usually looking at art that like literally just came out this year or recently quite often. I think this is because, you know, I used to work at an art gallery and usually stuff only comes to us sometime later um, or they're really old, like hundreds of years old. So even though we talk a lot about contemporary art, I it's not often that I'm personally looking at really contemporary like with like fresh off the presses or whatever the metaphor is so you know it'd be good to look at some some of those now yeah I actually was in an art museum recently and they had some uh, new accessions that were like from 2021 and I was like whoa so fresh <laughs> yeah in art I guess especially when things quite often could be so old that they are you know disintegrating um, things from the last year or two is like just yeah totally totally fresh well speaking of things that aren't fresh actually i wanted to give kind of a shout out to the items on this list that aren't recent because i find them fascinating inclusions one of them is this vermeer painting girl with a flute which is at number 20 and the reason that this was included is because in October, the National Gallery of Art in D.C. officially took away the Vermeer attribution. Uh, so the, the experts there in their analysis uh, like found that it lacked some of Vermeer's defining uh, 
sort of calling cards as an artist. And they decided that they believed it was made by an associate of his instead. But then a month later, um, the Rijks Museum in Amsterdam was like, no, 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 no. This definitely was made by Vermeer. <laughs> oh, no. And, we're, and so they're, they're displaying it when, with his name still attached to it. Um, so this is all still quite recent, which makes me feel like this is still a bit of a, a tiff in the art world, I would say, over this painting from 1665. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is an interesting conversation, and I don't even know if we've talked about this before or had an episode about art, like, attribution. I'm sure we've talked about it, but I don't think we've dedicated an entire episode to it, um, which is, I guess, like, I don't even know, like, because certain artists, they have these, like, defining bodies of like experts who will definitively say whether this is a whatever artist's work or not. But I, I guess it seems like in this case, Vermeer, there isn't like one authority that says, or if there is, they're not listening to them. Um, and then it's just up to the gallery to decide. Like, I find that kind of interesting. And then so depending on what gallery it's displayed at, it's attributed to a different person. I also find it a little bit suspect that like oh of course the museum in Amsterdam (laughs) would be like no this is for sure Vermeer because they're trying to protect their boy they're trying to say no 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 it's definitely (laughs) him and not anyone else is less famous and then maybe isn't going to get as many tourists in the building yeah I think with some of these artists especially those who had a large studio and like assistants it gets tricky to know or I don't even know if there's yeah, if if you we can really know for sure, and I'm sure there's lots of other artworks that are misattributed that we just that's just difficult to tell. So I feel like this is this could be. I mean, I'm not an expert, so I have no idea. But this could just be one of those instances where we don't know, and it's up to it's up to the individual art institutions to decide whatever is advantageous to them. I guess too many cooks in this kitchen. Before we get into any of these more contemporary works, I wonder, uh, now that you have the chance to look at this page a little bit, is there anything that jumps out at you visually, um, anything that you are kind of noticing about this? There's like two or three that I find interesting. And again, I, other than the ones we've already mentioned, I don't know about any of these other ones or even probably who the artists are. But uh, I think... One that actually jumped out at me at first is the first one that's on this page, which is obviously the, technically, I guess, the last one on this list, which is 25. And it looks like it's by Alethea Haven Ramirez, the Google Doodle. And presumably this is a Google Doodle from at some point. And it looks like a, it kind of looks like a child's drawing, like actually it looks like a doodle um, of like this person sitting on a couch and there's a I want to say a cat or a dog an animal (laughs) that is sitting on the couch with them and there's things hanging on the wall behind the couch and it says google actually it jumped out at me because it kind of reminds me of this Canadian artist that I really like um called Annie Pudagook and who also does like doodles that make it looks like it's a child's doodle but it's actually 
but it's not. <laughs> and but it's actually really uh, interesting once you look deeper into it. Not that children's doodles aren't interesting, um, but yeah. So, and I guess also just I'm intrigued on why a Google Doodle ended up on this list. <laughs> so. This one is a really different kind of inclusion onto this list and is also extremely sad because this is a child's doodle. Um, it was part of, there was like a, a one of those contests, you know, they have kids send in artwork. Uh, lots of places do stuff like this. So they were like, hey, send an art for the, for the Google doodle. Uh, this artwork wasn't selected for that contest, um, but after the girl who made this, um, after she completed it, uh, she was killed in a in a shooting at an elementary school. Obviously, that is a horrific tragedy, um, and I don't know at what point Google became aware um, that they had this artwork um, that had been submitted by this child who was killed, uh, but they ended up highlighting her work um, and sort of sharing it publicly after this. This is actually not the only piece on this page that is about gun violence. Um, there are actually several that are strongly related to gun violence. One of the most other prominent examples would be just two later on number 23, which is a piece by uh, Tiana Nikki McClodin, which uh, figure eight W 22 millimeters. Sorry, I read that really slowly because some of it is in Roman numerals <laughs> and I really had to let my brain work for a second. Um, <laughs> I'm the same way with Roman numerals. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it's Kydex, which is this industrial plastic that is wrapped over a handgun. So it's like a gun that is like shrimp wrapped in black plastic so is it like a real gun that it's wrapped around i believe it is a real gun yes they mentioned in the description for this that mcclauden who is a black lesbian artist from philadelphia um learned how to shoot a gun following the beginning of covid and the george floyd protest um and so there's a very interesting there's a lot of interesting messaging that can be read in into here about taking away the power of a weapon, but also making it a very pronounced image of this weapon. I think that it doesn't have a clear explanation of what it's trying to do here. I believe it's also part of a larger exhibit that has uh, different kinds of things that are uh, covered in this material. Um, but obviously something like a gun is going to be one of the most striking aspects of that exhibit because it is something that is so both dangerous and evocative and pulls a lot of feelings for a lot of different people. It looks very powerful. Like that was one of the other pieces I was going to say that kind of jumped out at me. And I think the description says that this type of plastic is used for knife sheaths, which is a knife is also a weapon. Um, so I guess the artist is kind of using this like in a way it i i guess it's not like uh they're saying there's like a position that they have on gun violence or not i guess that i, I don't know if i'm reading that correctly like it really is just a, highlighting this as a key aspect of american consciousness or is there a message i don't know I mean, it's art. There's always a message, but <laughs> yes. I think that a message is also 
most of the time, and I think especially in things like this, is in the eye of the beholder. It's like you're going to bring whatever your perspective on guns are to viewing this art, and that's probably going to change how you're perceiving it. That's true, yeah. Yeah, I do. I there's a, the next piece right after that in the list as well um, is a sculpture work by Rebecca Balmore called uh, Ishkode, uh, which means fire. Um, and this piece is gorgeous. This is one of the ones that I actually selected as one of my personal favorites. It looks like a person who has draped a sleeping bag around themselves. You can't see anything about the person, but you can just looking at it, you can tell like, oh, there's a person in there. There isn't. But like, (laughs) that's what it evokes. Um, And then surrounding that figure are just hundreds of bullets um, in a big filled in circle on the ground around them. Um, And the actual figure itself is a sleeping bag that's been cast in clay. Uh, So there's a very metallic kind of coloring to it um, that aligns with the metallic of the bullets on the ground. This is another one that I think can have a lot of different interpretations on like your specific takeaway from it, but is also definitely like evoking these ideas of gun violence it's very haunting um there's this feeling of like this figure is completely surrounded by these bullets um and it, it, because there are no actual features of a person inside of there it's like it feels very claustrophobic there is no escape yeah um actually i do know this artist uh because uh there were a bunch of and I think there are still are a bunch of works of hers at the AGO. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head which ones, but I do remember most recently when I was there, there was another sculptural like person figure looking sculpture, and she is known to use a lot of metal and like copper materials in her work, and they're all to me really powerful statements, or they're just very intriguing to look at and i definitely would like to see this particular one in person if i can figure out where it's located this is something that was presented at the whitney biannual um so uh i do not know where it is now but it seems like it was obviously quite a popular piece there and so hopefully it is (laughs) it's on the move it's not on the move it's not sentient um, but metaphorically, hopefully it's on the move. <laughs> An interesting overall feature of this list is that a lot of things that are featured are films or have some kind of film component. I thought that was so interesting because I do feel like that's a more democratic form of art um, because we've talked multiple times about how there is plenty of art that you can experience on the internet and that's the form of what it is and then you can see images of things but it's not quite the same as seeing physical forms in person um, but then with a film like that's a that's a born digital art piece and so whatever the film is is what it is but it's also like when these things that are created for fine art like they're they aren't typically available freely available um or even possibly like available at all on the internet in the way that like Um, other kinds of films are so I thought that was an interesting contrast between it's like oh well it's great that this is potentially like a more accessible form of art because it's a film but then maybe it's completely inaccessible because you can't 
capture it the same way in a picture and also you have to go to a physical location to see it so it's like well now we're even further back than we started yeah that is true that's interesting and i think you and i have talked about how depending on the length of the film if it's in an art gallery if the video is like an hour chances are most people aren't going to sit around and watch all of it unless they're literally you or me and so (laughs) and so i i yeah i find that whenever i see these types of film uh, film pieces and again i don't always sit and watch all of them so similarly with even the ones that i sit through when i worked at the art gallery i think i would see that most people would walk in and out of film artworks probably in like 30 seconds to a minute so it does seem like they're not often experienced to their fullest. And maybe for some artists, you don't have to. Not all the pieces are meant to be watched in full. But watching through the whole thing does give you more experience of it than not. So yeah, I don't really know how to feel about the ones that are quite long in length, but you kind of have to sit there for the whole time to see it. That is an interesting point. Especially because a lot of these films that are considered very long for being in museums would be very short in any other context. Like you have, let's say, a 45-minute art film. That's an impossible amount of time to sit down in a museum and watch something. But that's one episode of television. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's just so funny. Um, But unfortunately, like, as I just think, like, that is the context in which these things exist. And so how often are people actually seeing this thing in full if they're not, you know, someone who's specifically there to view that film or study it in some way um, or there for some kind of event in which watching that film is featured. Um, but I mean, I don't, <laughs> I guess people wouldn't become fine artists if they were really that worried about a lot of people seeing their work. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Well, that's the thing. I was thinking, my, I was like, why don't they just upload it to YouTube like what I do? <laughs> so and maybe some of them do. But I, the, the other aspect of this is, well, if you if it's on YouTube, then other than the ad revenue you may make, which is very little, <laughs> you're not really, you're not you're distributing this work in a way that's not financially lucrative for you. So I mean, yeah, like so many artists upload films to YouTube and I'm sure even some of the artists on this list like have a lot more publicly accessible work or maybe things in time will be made more publicly accessible in that way that but, um, you know, people got to pay bills and YouTube is not paying the bills. I had one other piece that we haven't touched on at all that I definitely wanted to make sure we talked about. um, And that is the piece at number 19. Yeah, I did notice this one so this is a 2022 piece uh that was made by uh banu jenitadla but this was just such a physically fascinating piece to me um and so this was this particular iteration of this work uh was a takeover of the pittsburgh museum's uh, gilded age atrium um which it's redone every year i guess um for the carnegie international and uh, so this one is filled with golden balloons. So there's these giant towers of those golden letters. You know, those things that are like really popular with white mm-hmm. women where it's just like you, <laughs> yeah. each 
balloon is a different capital letter um, and they have it spell out like 30 or whatever. Anyway, so in this <laughs> in this case, um, all of all of the letters um, in each bunch of balloon uh, spells out one of the articles from uh, the Universal Declarations of Human Rights that were adopted by the UN in 1948. Um, and so this is not only this kind of giant sculptural work, it is also a physical work of decay because, of course, over time, the helium depletes out of the balloons and these shining golden beacons of universal rights slowly <laughs> deflate and come oh, down wow. to earth and start to look pretty pathetic. Yeah, so I was when I was scrolling, this was also one that kind of caught my attention and just as we were looking closer at this, I noticed the scale of how, because it looks like this is a two-story level atrium, and they're pretty high ceilings too. So these are very large pieces that go almost from floor to the top of the second level. And yeah, it's interesting that these are letters because again, they're seemingly arranged in a way that's not that you obviously can't read them. So I wonder if there's a level of these human rights are written, but does it's all jumbled up together in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and in a way that, that is it really meaningful when it's, when it's already arranged in this way to begin with. And then now thinking about the fact that they deflate over time and, you know, look terrible, then it really does in a way, metaphorically illustrate how useless the UN is. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> or at least that's what it I mean, that's what it seems like to me. That's the way I'm interpreting this. The stated message is about, you know, not taking things for granted. Um, because just because you write something down and you put it out there doesn't mean it's real you have to actually enforce these things you have to actually maintain the helium of these balloons or otherwise they fall into fleet and are no longer the things that they started as yeah i think this is really it's it is a quite an interesting piece and it does just the way it's showing this picture i presume was at the beginning when it was like fully inflated or with this because some of them do look a little bit crumpled up but i don't know if that's just the nature of the letters it seems like this is after it started to crumple up a oh, little okay. bit but they're still yeah. pretty inflated they seem like they're still pretty up there yeah i was just gonna say it would be interesting to see like a time lapse or something but maybe maybe that's something something else i'll look into after <laughs> um it's not the subtlest piece of art in the world, but I'm a real sucker for anything that has a changing physical component. I just think that's so fun. Yeah, I do. The artworks that have this, I think, again, we've talked about the auto-destruct art before. These types of art that change over a period of time or like disintegrate, it does quite often catch my attention because I like the fact that it's not static um, but that it changes in a different way than a, than a film piece does. I, I do find it interesting that the title of the artwork is right? Question mark. Yeah again you know it's a simple title but what else are you going to call it? <laughs> yeah. Well do you have any concluding thoughts either about these artworks or anything else about 
art in 2022 that you want to leave on? Um, yeah, I would say in general, I, I, I think I, I'm probably going to take a look at this list in a little bit more detail later. And I think it just kind of prompts me to look a bit more into what has been happening in the art world in you know last year or in recent years, because it does seem like some of these are quite interesting. And I think if you hadn't brought it up, I probably would have not known about them just because I don't really often look at contemporary art that's recent and fresh. So I think, yeah, it, it really prompts me to try to see if I can watch some of these films or see where I can see some of this artwork or just look more into look more into them because it really does seem like there's a lot of artists doing a lot of interesting things and just lots to learn about. Yeah, I totally agree. This was a cool way to learn about a lot of things that I hadn't heard of before and also to get really excited about the stuff that I had heard of before because I was like, oh my God, it's working. The art podcast, we're talking about real things that people care about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that some of the things we already talked about made it on the list because it's just, you know, it, it feels... <laughs> It feels like, yeah, like we, we, we know what we're doing or something. <laughs> so. We're basically the same thing as art news. Oh, exactly. We're like Artnet, but just in audio version. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening today. Um, I hope that we have lots of fun things to bring you in 2023. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod, um, or you can find our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial. You can find me on Instagram at Rose, And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at articulationsv, although I pretty much only use Instagram these days. Uh, I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also have a YouTube channel, Pictorial Podcasts, where we will upload some of our older episodes onto the video form. And so for this one, you will be looking at some very recent and fresh artworks. Thanks for listening, art enthusiasts.